0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Well, good afternoon. It's, uh, I guess today is Tuesday, September 28th. I'm, I traveled over the weekend, and so I'm in, in a little bit of a fog. This is Michael. I'm um, doing a solo show today with a with a friend of mine named Phil Wilson. Phil, hi, how are you doing today? Welcome to Drive DriveThruHR.
0: I'm good. Michael, how are you?
1: I'm all right. Other than foggy. Um, <laughs> I'm foggy, yeah. No, I just – I traveled on Saturday, so it throws everything off, you know? It feels yeah. – I woke up this morning thinking I still had a weekend coming to me, and I was clearly wrong <laughs> on that because I've been working on a report all day. So, But at least I got to work at home. Um but, but Phil and I had talked about doing this show and he was kind enough to remind me so I'm taking a taking a break from the, the report to do uh, what I hope will be a timely update uh, on uh, some some changes in the HR space that that come periodically and are coming pretty fast and furious um, right toward our, our way right now and it's stuff that the the average HR practitioner doesn't always pay attention to on a daily basis but really needs to know about so we do these shows periodically to try to Try to bring some attention to that kind of stuff from the labor labor rela- world of labor relations and labor law. So Phil and I have been friends for over a decade, know each other really well, work together, client of his company. Uh, do do uh you know, have done shows before. So we're just going to have a conversation like we normally do, but but so first of all, Phil, got to see you twice in the last month or so after not seeing you for a year and a half including uh, being at the Q conference, which was obviously uh, a kind of a shell of its normal self because of COVID with, with probably about 55 people or so in attendance. But it was still, a, it was great to have Q back, I think. And I thought it was a, a really well done event. And I guess I want to give them a plug on that because I know they're going to start trying to have conferences again next year, twice a year. So for for those folks who aren't familiar with Q, it's an organization I used to be a part of. They they work to help employers build positive employee relations in the workplace. And Phil is a member of their con, their consulting group, uh, along with another number of other very well respected uh, consultants in the labor and employment relations field. Um, you want to give this a, like a 30-second uh, spiel on how how you thought Q went this go round.
0: Well, it was awesome to back. Like it was, uh, we've yeah. had a couple of virtual conferences, you know, over the last 18 months, and so it was really terrific just to be live and in person, even though it was smaller than than normal, which is understandable. And it was, yeah, you know, and it, it, you know, it was in Florida uh, as Delta was still, you know, raging. I guess it's still raging, uh-huh. but anyway. Um, but but you know, in spite of that, it was just. It was super safe. It was distanced. You know, pe- uh, people. You know, were really I think happy to to be together. Uh, and then I had a blast. I got to kick off the conference. And um, then you know there was a lot. I mean, the content. You know, it, ch- it changed the format a little bit because it was a smaller conference. But it really right. I thought intensified the learning. Like it was a huge amount of uh, uh, great content, and I thought it was a great sort of springboard into the the spring coming up because there's so much happening in the labor and positive employee relations space. I mean, it's just like there's something new every day. And so I I was really glad we at least got a live face-to-face one under our belt this year and and can sort of use that as a platform to, to next year. But it was great to have Q back. Yeah, I,
1: I agree. It was great to see you know you and lots of other people um, that that were there. Um, we had Jessica Miller on last week, and she had she had gone to Sherm, which happened almost continuously mm-hmm. with Q. I they, I was going to make that starting. trip too.
0: I was going to try to do them both, and I I ended up missing the Sherm conference. But yeah, how's Jessica doing? I haven't talked to her in a while.
1: Yeah, Jessica's doing well. I asked her I asked her the other day about how Sherm, you know, like what was it? And she said they had. She thought that they had somewhere between eight and ten thousand people, which is still a huge conference, but it's like half of what they would normally get. So, mm-hmm. and the HR Tech is happening this week, and I haven't heard any reports on the attendance. But it, it, the the conference the conference space is co- are coming back. The conference world is returning, but it's kind of herky jerky right now. So, but yeah, it was great to have Q back, and and I did enjoy. Uh, I did enjoy seeing you, and the, the dinners were great. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> en- enough about that. There's there's far more important things, many of which we did discuss at Q, um, which is one of the one of the few places where you can get heavy concentration doses of this stuff about what it really means. But there are, I think, there are four four or five things still that we're going to try to cover at a fairly high level. Um, but that we want to kind of go into some detail about what, how it might impact HR practitioners. So let's start with um, I guess there's a couple big choices. One would be the Pro Act, and the other would be the NLRB. But I think maybe the NLRB because it, it, it truly now is a Biden board, and Jennifer Peruzzo mm-hmm. is the new general counsel, and uh, David Prudy and Gwen Gwen Wilcox. is that right? Yeah, Gwen? yeah, Gwen Wilcox. Yeah, yeah. are are the two new members of the board that took over and. Um, it's a full board, three Democrats, two Republicans, and a, and, a, and a Democratic general counsel. So so tell us first, I guess, a little bit about Abruzzo, and then let's talk about some of the really far-reaching changes she's trying to implement right straight out of the gate, like in week one.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that, it has been, you know, it's just kind of like look back to the to the last administration, and it took a long time to even get a fully – Seated Republican majority board, Um, and then it it seemed like even once they were seated, it took a while for them to really get rolling. Now, once they did get rolling, there—I mean—they did a lot of great work, Um, Mm -hmm. but it just really seemed like it it took a long time for for them to get traction. This this um, bunch—I mean, you know, on so you know on day one, Biden. Fires the general counsel to open that seat up. Um, ha- had had an acting general counsel in there, you know, basically from day one. That's never happened before, um, but that sort of set the tone, and um, they 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 were able to get uh, you know Prouty and Wilcox confirmed. Abruzzo got confirmed, you know, in a little bit of a bruising confirmation battle so so abruzzo came out of you know, remember the Senate is tied, so she came out of committee with a tie vote, which would then means she had to get two basically tie votes broken by the vice president to get confirmed but in spite of all those hurdles um, and the and the reason that that was a, a, a you know a, di- a difficult confirmation really related to the fact that Biden terminated the general counsel, Peter Robb. That had never been right. done before, and there was a lot of concern about, you know, she was on the transition team, and did she have involvement in that decision? And So anyway, there, there was, it was it was controversial. Um, but but anyway, in spite of all that, I mean, literally on day – the first day that they could have seated – have a Democratic majority board seated, uh, everyone was in place. So all the pieces were in place. Abruzzo so was in – um, and you uh, had the the now democrat majority board panel seated, and they have just hit the ground running and then you know you asked specifically about Abruzzo, but she so jennifer Abruzzo, she 's um, first of all super smart um, very sharp lawyer uh, but you know been in you know in, in general counsel for she 's been in the communication workers uh, she's she 's worked inside the the board before she's she 's just got a lot of uh, you know, background and a lot of really aggressive ideas about how the National Labor Relations Act should be interpreted to benefit unions. And um, mm-hmm. so she came out and issued a number of memos, which, you know, every general counsel does, but th- what they what they do is they issue memos to all the regions and they say, hey, if you have a case that deals with any of these issues, I want to see them first because I want to advise the region which cases we want you to issue complaint on and, and bring forward, basically, so that we can prosecute those cases. Um, and the list is, I mean, it's dozens and dozens and dozens of items, but it's not even the number of items, it's just, there's some really extreme positions that it appears she plans to take, um, and I'm sure we'll get into some of those, but, it, but, um, but you know, very extreme penalties uh on employers really trying to reformat the way that unions get recognized and sort of what counts as um you know bad faith conduct on behalf of employers just a lot of major changes
1: yeah so so like one of the first ones i guess that, that that is a is a big change is and there was a i forget which law firm had the article out but there was a title it was that you know kiss settlements goodbye you know, the NLRB expects capitulation or something along those lines, which is mm-hmm. sound hyperbolic, but it really is true in that they are no longer interested in settling. They want to extract um, the as much in terms of cost and, and payment and back pay and damages, you know, kind of unprecedented amounts of money from employers who. You know, they they deem to have committed unfair labor practices, right? So, can you yeah. talk to us a little bit about that as maybe the first one of like three three or four big ones we'll we'll discuss briefly.
0: Yeah. So historically, the act is you know most people understand the act and, and rightfully so because that's what it says. It's a remedial statute. So, in other words, the whole point of the statute is not to, unlike the the EEOC law that that includes punitive damages as like a component. Of the law so in other words you know if you can punish a company if you find that they've you know intentionally broken the discrimination rules the the National League Relations Act was not written or formulated that way it's written as a remedial statute so if either a company or a union violate the rights of an employee under the act or you know commit and what's called an unfair labor practice the, the the board's position what the board is supposed to do is to sort of get things back to the way they would have been if the unfair labor practice hadn't been committed. So there's no penalties. There's no, you don't go to jail. Um, you know, if you commit an unfair labor practice, you just try to get things back to the way that they were, it's um, it's and, of a
1: make whole, make whole contract, mm-hmm. right? They, they, if an right. employee is terminated, they may ask you to reinstate and pay back pay and that kind of stuff, but not, yeah, not You a might lot pay some interest.
0: Other, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. But yeah, but so what what um General Counsel Labruzzo has suggested in, in the in the enforcement memos is that the penalties under the National Labor Relations Act need to be as severe as possible. Now the Pro Act is and, and, and the reconciliation bill, and I know we'll get there in a minute, they're they're talking about actually including like punitive type damages in the mm-hmm. in these awards. Um now that requires rewriting the statute, and abruzzo, of course, can't do that, but what she's done instead is just said there's a lot of remedies that we believe are make whole remedies that would still be you know much more extreme than anything that they've ever done before, and that includes things like i mean in a in a way public shaming the company, so like having the mm-hmm. uh you know the owner or, or or top leader of a company have to read statements to their employees. And possibly publish them on their website or publish them on their social media accounts. Um, the the amount, you know, the 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 damage amounts in the cases they want interpreted in such a way that they basically are punitive. Um, and then they also have talked about sort of in what are called bad faith bargaining cases, but in cases where an employer in a union, you know, fail to reach an agreement and the union says, well, the reason why is because the employer acted in bad faith in bargaining, you know, typically those remedies have been, you know, you have to go back to the bargaining table and you have to, uh, you know, continue negotiating. And if you laid people off or you know, as you, you know, or did, you know if, if you stop paying people for some reason and you should have been paying them, then like you said earlier, you would ordinarily pay back pay to them. But but, what they're suggesting is that you might impose contract terms that weren't ever even agreed upon um, that you might uh, you know make those penalties be much more than just straight back pay um, there's just a lot of penalties that they're considering that really have never been i mean they've never been they've never been proven out in court as that the board even has authority to exercise that type of uh penalty but they're definitely going to be asking for that sort of penalty. And then to point to the article you just mentioned, you know, the, the the other side of that is the vast majority of these cases and the vast majority of all court cases around the country, you know, they're all, they settled. There's very few of these that end up in trial. And, um, you know, I think that's going to change. If the board demands mm-hmm. this type of penalty, um, To settle these claims, you're going to see a lot more litigation and a lot more cases that will go to trial, and probably a lot more cases that will get appealed to the courts of appeal, um, which typically don't—they don't—they don't don't always see eye to eye with uh, with how the board interprets the statute.
1: Yep. Um, Let's talk. You mentioned uh, bargaining. Ten Js are esoteric, but they may become less so. Let's talk Mm -hmm. about what a ten J is and what she's thinking there.
0: Yeah, so a 10J is basically injunctive relief, and so it's just a, it's, the name's just a section of the act, but the, that section basically gives the the general counsel the authority to go straight to federal court and to get an injunction, uh, which basically means you know to compel an employer to either stop doing something. So, for example, just say. That, uh, an employer you know an employee does something that the employer decides is justifies termination, but it also happens to be you know occurring during a union campaign, and the general counsel says that termination we think is related to trying related to this union campaign in some way we want that employee put back to work. The normal process would be they would file an unfair labor practice and it would wind its way to the board in those cases and look i 'm like I actually agree. With this critique like those cases take way 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 too long to resolve so those can Uh take years to get resolved and um you know there's there's the saying justice delayed is justice denied right so the 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 general counsel's sort of approach to this as opposed to because the general counsel by the way you know has something to say about how quickly these cases get resolved but as opposed to doing that um she's saying we should just go straight to federal court and seek an injunction in these cases and get a federal court to impose um, reinstatement or to impose some, you know, other penalty uh, to force the employer to do kind of what the board wants, even before there's ever been an opportunity to sort of litigate the case. Um, So that, that, that's, uh, and and that can also be true with, uh, you know, bargaining remedies and, you know, there's a number of places where you can use that, that injunctive, Relief. You basically just have to say, "Hey, if I don't get the injunction, then there's irreparable harm that's going to happen. We're never going to be able to get back to um, you know the way things were before. And so, ju- you know, Judge, I want you to you know put us put us back there now, and then and then we'll continue. Um, so that so that would be those remedies have been used in the past, um, but but pretty rarely. But she, she's clearly. Sort of stating that's going to be our go-to move not kind of our last resort
1: yep so more more money for lawyers more more (laughs) more litigation again um you know Uh i mean and 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 more trouble for employers frankly i mean it's uh i mean it it, which makes it important to do the right things and so on and so Mm -hmm. on uh we won't we don't have we have a limited time so we won't go down that rabbit hole um she's also got i don't know if innovative is the right term but certainly it's um it, it's it's creative thinking, uh, especially given the fact that she's using a case that I think was decided in the 1940s or something like before you and I were born. Um, yeah. There's this, yeah. there's this case called the Joyce Silk decision, and um, she's she's citing that as a sort of uh, really scary way to implement some things that were part of the employee free choice act going back about you know more than a decade ago including one that mm-hmm. that was often referred to as card check so this is sort of a backdoor way to card check and i'll let you kind of talk about joy silk and what card check is
0: yeah so joy silk mills is a case that was decided like you just mentioned in 1949 and um it it, it basically it was a it was positioned as a, as a bargaining order case. So we mentioned just a minute ago, if an employer, you know, fails to reach an agreement with the union, you could potentially be ordered, you know, to go back to bargain with that union. So that's called a bargaining order. And in this Joy Silk case, um, the, the employer in that case, the union filed uh, or asked for recognition, and they said, hey, we've got a card by the majority of the employees here. Uh, we want you to recognize us. The employer said, "Yeah, we don't want to. We think you should just have to go uh, and get a uh, and ask for an election." And the union filed an unfair labor practice charge and sought a bargaining order, seeking to force the employer to go ahead and bargain with them because the employer did not have at that point what they called a good faith doubt about the union's majority status. That is, that's not exactly card check. So card check says. That if a union shows up with a with a majority, the employer just automatically has to recognize the union. So there is still this kind right. of good faith doubt component that's part of Joy Silk. But essentially, um, there's there, the number of cases where an employer actually, because the employer's not really supposed to be, you know, involved or know about card signing, and they certainly are not, you know, st- supposed to ask people like, "Did you sign a card?" That's straight up illegal. Um, so there's really not great ways for an employer to have any knowledge or facts about who signed a card or what circumstances under which they signed a card. So it's really rare for an employer to actually have any like actual evidence that cards were signed under you know duress or signed when people had limited information or or were being forced to sign by their supervisor. Or all. there's a lot of things that can happen during card signing that makes those cards questionable as to their validity, but an employer would never really have proof of that um, or sometimes learns about it you know, way too late to do anything about it. So what happens under Joy Silk, if we go back to that rule, and, and actually Abruzzo, my belief is that she wants to expand the rule beyond what Joy Silk's facts were, so basically making it card check so that it is an unfair labor practice and per se illegal, legal employer to refuse to recognize the union based on cards, unless there is specific proof that the union doesn't have a majority. And so if that were the rule, that's, that's basically card check. Um, yeah, and and it,
1: it, uh, I, yeah. I can't even think of a way, I'm sorry. I can't even think of go a ahead. way that you could uh, like to your point, you can't go ask. So the only, I guess the only way it might be possible mm-hmm. is if employees came forward and said, no, you know, like, if, mm-hmm. the, if the actual I, – I and I can't really imagine that happening. I mean, I've, often been, either, so.
0: I've, I've been doing this for 30 years, and I have uh, – I can think of a small handful of cases, and, and they were crazy, right? Like, that, like they're so rare. I had one case where um, a dispatcher that was a supervisor, who, who, by the way, you know, under this current board might have been ruled to not even be a dispatcher, but in any event, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, like employees were uh, essentially were, had to sign a card or this dispatcher would make them come home deadhead, which basically means drive, you know, 12 hours unpaid. Um, and so that was how they got the, got the card signed. Um, and, and, yeah. But ex- what you said is the only way we knew that was employees complained that they were forced to sign a card to get a load back, and that was how we became aware of it. Um, but mm-hmm. but you know th- those cases are really few and far between. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, it's, um, so it's that's a, it's a that's a, a major change.
1: That, yeah, and it's a strategy or that that they're using that will be very difficult for employers to evade. And if they do, they I, I believe I heard at Q that there's some possibility that they kind of may fall back into the 10 J's situation right like Mm -hmm, if you mm get if you so if the ULP is you know if they determine that it is a ULP that you don't have a good faith uh, objection then they won't necessarily order an election as they would have in the past they'll just say sorry proceed to recognizing the union and start Mm -hmm. negotiations right that's the that's the ultimate uh potential and her intended outcome I believe
0: yeah I mean I I think you know I don't want to put words in her mouth but I mean I think but I do think that that's like that all logically fits together right that that you would try to make it where the default position is you recognize on cards and if you refuse to recognize on cards without having some specific proof then they can just say well the months that you would spend litigating this case is irreparable harm to this group of employees who have already said they wish to be represented and have already asked a bargain um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think you could probably go in and convince a judge that, yeah, you guys should go ahead and bargain, and if the employer has doubt, you know, you guys can go ahead and argue about that, but in the meantime, bargain. The um, you know, the other side of that, too, is that I think that you're going to have just uh, – well, like, we we currently have a case, like, going right now where it has absolutely been set up to be this argument. So for your listeners who – Maybe aren't into the weeds of you know labor law yeah. um, you know like like I am and you are uh, there's um, this isn't just like some hypothetical thing that might happen like it's currently happening
1: mm-hmm. and they're actively on the lookout for more cases to drive these kind of yeah. decisions as well, which is part of the memo yeah. that have been written to to the to the regions to say some cases up that will help us promote these following kind of objectives and goals. Um, yeah, yeah. But, um, sure. One of the other – I, I want to pivot because we're 15 – about 16, 17 minutes left, I guess. Um, I want to pivot, but before I do, there was a key we heard one thing, which was um, one of the more crazy remedies that I think it was Bob Nagel in his presentation brought up mm-hmm. was if if you – somebody's terminated and they they can't be reinstated because they don't want to be – under this scenario yeah, of, you know, kind right. of make whole, it, that the, that the NLRB would allow the union to pick a replacement, like, uh, uh, like just out of the blue or something. Yeah. It, it was something like that, I think. Is that, do yeah, I have that's, that
0: right? That, that's, that's one of the remedies. That's one of the remedies is if you have a termination case and it's, it's not uncommon that an employee gets terminated, they go find another job, you know, they get offered back pay and they're like, yeah, you know, I kind of like it where I'm at now. I'll just stay here. You guys write me a check. Um, and in those cases, then you know that would close out the the case. but what abruzzo is saying is in those cases, the employer doesn 't just the employer doesn 't just go hire somebody the union gets to pick whoever they want i think they 'd have to, i think it says they have to be qualified but other than that, the union gets to pick whoever they want to be in that position, which is just you know shocking that 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 would be a a remedy and that is I mean that is clearly not a make whole remedy like that's a penalty you know you're 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 basically allowing a union to put uh, assault or you know someone with clearly divided loyalty you know into your plant. you don't get to pick who the person is Um, it's just uh, it's I, I can't imagine that that survives Uh, review from a court of appeals but you know we'll see it's kind of at this point you know they're going to seek the remedy uh, and then you know it'll be fought about the board I think will approve the remedy so then Mm -hmm. then it's going to be a question of can you get into a court of appeals and and say that they've you know overstepped their authority Um, but that takes a long time and yeah it'll it'll be those will be some interesting cases to watch for sure
1: yeah, and and again, kind of illustrative of just how heavy-handed some of the changes that they're thinking about. Even if they, to your point, even if they don't survive, you know, the final the final outcome of the of, of litigation, they're they're pretty heavy-handed, having a having a, a, a an unfriendly. Um, person in your in your organization very damaging to your culture you know one individual can especially if it's smaller company sure. and a lot of union elections today are smaller units under under 50 under 25 so that person can play in uh, in my mind an over over uh reaching role in in kind of continuing to disrupt the employer and it's it's all mm-hmm. part of this capitulation idea i guess that <laughs> seems to me anyway
0: i've um, I'm i've, I've I heard more of more than i, I mean did
1: today but
0: Yeah. Well, I'm just uh, like, I've never heard like in any, in any situation, like I've heard of requiring you to reinstate somebody who you'd already chosen to hire and you fired for an illegal reason. Like that, that remedy I've heard of. And that remedy makes sense. Like that does, you know, attempt to put things back to the way that they were, even in cases where an employer has been proven or a union for that matter because both cases happen has been proven to have discriminated you know against individuals because of their race for example or their gender um, you know the remedy is not the, the remedy might be that you are required the next you know X number of people that you hire this percentage of them have to be from this group that you've discriminated against but that but they still don't ever say like we get to pick the people that go into those jobs. I just, that one is really just extreme to the point of, I can't really imagine it being upheld, but you know, who knows?
1: Yeah. It depends on what, depends on what court they get into in a lot of cases, Mm -hmm. probably Supreme Court. But anyway, but still thousands thousands and thousands of dollars to fight it for something that probably shouldn't happen in the first place. Um, So last, last thing then i guess that's the last thing on the nlrb let's pivot to proact uh the proact is today's version of the employee free choice act it's a lot more uh like like the, the new nlrb it's a lot more um Objectionable than EFTA was, which is kind of hard to say, but it's true. There are right, a lot more yeah. things, yeah. elements to it that make it even worse. It's unlikely to pass, so let's not overkill it. Cause the, but but we need to get it. Then we'll go into the budget reconciliation because that's really where the the meat of it will probably take place if anything actually happens in Washington. So, but but tell us about the pro act and sort of it, what it entails.
0: Yeah. So the pro act is kind of i mean the best way i've heard it described it's just sort of like a list of every bad idea that unions have come up with in like the last 20 or 30 years you know all in one bill it is far more extreme a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about is in the PRO Act. so there Mm -hmm. you know they've there's provisions about car check there's provisions about uh you know bargaining orders there's provisions about damages and penalties uh individual penalties for employers um there there's a there a number of these provisions are in um in the pro act it, it, it incl- and, and then it's it's much more wide reaching than just labor law. so it it includes basically sort of al- almost eliminating for all intents and purposes the idea of independent contractors um it it, it rewrites the joint employer rules so that it probably gets rid of the franchise business model like it's just it's just wildly overreaching um so that it has passed the House. It is uh, still sitting in the Senate. Um, it is, you know, most people, and of course what, what I've been talking about is what I call the PRO Act pivot. Like, the PRO Act itself is not going to pass. It's certainly not going to pass this session of Congress. It's unlikely that it's going to pass in the next session of Congress. The only way that the PRO Act sees the light of day in the next couple of years is if the uh, if they get rid of the filibuster, which at this point mm-hmm. I'm not I, like I would never say never about anything in politics right now. At this point, it does not look like the filibuster is um, is going anywhere, and so what that means then is the pro act is not going to become law. But that being said, that is not stopping the you know pro labor forces from trying to imp- get as much of the pro act implemented as they can, hoping that someday. They will either reach some sort of compromise version that, that can get 60 votes in the Senate, or um, you know, adding it in. So, for example, the reconciliation, the 3.5 trillion infrastructure um, uh, bill that they're trying to get through reconciliation, they have attached onto that a number of these uh, a number of these pro-act provisions. That uh, that we've talked about. So, like the money damages, for example, are included in the reconciliation. Um, that, so, so they are trying to get these provisions in, whether that's by board decision, like the Joy Silk thing that we just discussed, whether it's in the reconciliation. They're they're adding these provisions anywhere that they can, to try to get them um, get them in. Um, but they're all kind of coming out of the pro act itself, which which is sort of the you know the list of all of their uh you know it's their entire wish
1: list is is the pro act yeah so so the the wish list and especially those elements that are translated into the budget Reconciliation act they're they're limited by a couple of things i guess one is and i don't know if that that this has been fully determined yet or not even though they're supposed to vote on some of this stuff like in two days so we'll see um some of the stuff that's in there, I, I guess, with the Budget Reconciliation Act, a lot of the stuff that's in there doesn't seem completely appropriate if you look at it just from a budget fiscal point of view.
0: Mm-hmm. Although there's yeah.
1: tons of stuff. Anything that is tagged three and a half trillion dollars has so much, uh, so <laughs> many things in it you can't even count and, and understand what they are. But. All the items that would come out of the PRO Act that are in this Budget Reconciliation Act that, if it's passed, would become effective in in reforming labor law, they all have to pertain in some way to to finances or or money, right? That's kind of the underlying rule. Rule and the 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 bird, the bird rule uh, is
0: what they, yeah, the bird rule is what they call that. Um, And and then the the the
1: Senate, it's not the Senate, the Congressional Parliamentarian. Who I don't even know that person's name. I believe it's a woman, but I don't know her name or his mm-hmm. name. They they do a, rev- a review of these bills and they determine whether things actually fall into uh, you know mm-hmm. fall into the sort of the general description I just gave or not. So where do you know where that stands right now?
0: Yeah. So yeah. So uh, just real quick, those the provisions must either spend money or raise money. So like taxes, okay. those are good. Uh, I'm not saying I'm you know, right. But taxes can get passed. Um, spending money on something that gets passed. So the the provision has to have some impact, some budgetary impact. And then there's a, there's a secondary, you know, provision that you can't just the, the purpose of the provision, even if it has some dollar amount attached to it, can't simply be to legislate you know, outside of the the sixty vote rule, like it has to have some relationship to the budget okay so and 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 the whole reason for the bird rule is to try to prevent people from like glomming on to these reconciliation bills, a bunch of stuff that's that has no no budgetary impact so the um the argument that's being made right now is things like so just take the damages so what what the what that provision says is that if a company commits an unfair labor practice. There are so there's punitive damages that can be awarded um in the amount of I think it's hundred thousand dollars per event um and that those amounts can also be collected personally against the the top leadership of a company, okay, so the argument then would be to the parliamentarian, I think it's a Senate parliamentarian who makes the decision, but it but they they basically say, yeah, that has an impact on the budget because it raises money like that would be one possible interpretation or they could say no that's just trying to rewrite the penalties in the National Relations Act that's not really designed to raise revenue so that shouldn't be included there's been historically like this has happened before where like penalty provisions have been tossed out uh, like OSHA penalties is an example in prior reconciliation bills so I, I know I have heard there's some skepticism about whether these are going to pass by the parliamentarian, but that said, there's, you know, that's just one person can say, yeah, looks good to me. And basically, I mean, that's not like an appealable decision. Like that just, if they say it's okay, then it's right. in. Um, so, so if the so pal- parliamentarian
1: says it's okay and then, and then the Dems get mansion and Sinema and the progressives, All in line, and they Mm -hmm. vote with 50 votes, so that it becomes deadlocked. Then Kamala Harris will will cast the tie-breaking vote. So with 51 votes in the Senate, and I guess they have enough of a majority in the House to pass it if everyone's in line as well on the Dem side. Then this.
0: Well, that's really the open question uh, today, right? Is do they even have the votes in the House? But I, I think. uh, I mean, it's hard to imagine. Like the number may not end up being 3.5 trillion. but I but I think all of these labor law things – like I I really can't imagine a scenario where you know they don't pass any reconciliation at all right so these these provisions right. will be at least up in front of the parliamentarian now if those provisions make it past the parliamentarian then there will be this sort of second round of you know can they can they pass it with those riding along and some of the folks that you're talking about so mansion and cinema that are already sort of balking at the price tag um, you know they have well cinema hasn't even signed on to the pro act so there's like you know so, so you would have you, you can imagine that there would even be some concerns if those provisions make it through the reconciliation bill but um, but it's I mean you know but we're, we're like that close though to to these things becoming reality:
1: yeah and if that happens. How, how, I mean, to me, it's like one of the, and it's not really rewriting. I mean, it, it is, and it isn't rewriting the NLRA, right? But it's, mm-hmm. a, it's, because it this is a, it, essentially it becomes law, right? As part of the act, they yeah. rewrite the yeah. act and it becomes law.
0: It literally, and, and, I mean, yeah, it, the, it, 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 will literally rewrite the national League relations act. I mean, the provision, like, if you look at the, if you look at the provisions, it says, you know, section, blah, 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 change this language to this. I mean, it rewrites this. the, the act. Yeah.
1: So this would be the most sweeping reformation of the NLRA since the nineteen fifties and and, yeah, 59. and maybe ever. Fifty nine? Yeah. That yeah. tap well, f- f- that tap Yeah, yeah
0: fifty nine added, you know added unfair labor practices against unions and I mean yeah, there were there you know there were a lot of changes in fifty nine that are probably, you know, as sweeping as what's being you know, discussed here, but like it's literally the mo- most sweeping and probably, you know, equally sweeping as as those provisions. And and it really tilts things. 59 was about balancing a, a law that had been extremely slanted toward unions and was creating all kinds of havoc um, and just like bad behavior and um, yeah um, yeah. You know, so so that so that it, you know it. It got the law sort of towards neutral, and you know unions hate it, and employers hate it. I think you know one way you can kind of tell that it's probably close to right is that nobody likes it um but but unions really want to kind of get it back to where it was in thirty five where yeah you know, like i mean one of the one of yeah. the provisions of the pro act is that employers are not a party to these cases, like you can't right. even like show up and state your side.
1: <laughs> it's yeah. So so let's get like four and a half minutes left. So here here's the last question, and it's kind of like, kind of wrapping it up for mm-hmm. for people that have listened to this and they've, they're like Joy Silk Proact FCA budget. You know uh, what? How does mm-hmm. this impact the average HR practitioner, and what do they need to be thinking about right now?
0: Well, I mean, at the end of the day, you, you're you know, I don't expect any sort of normal hr person that doesn't like have an active you know union campaign at foot is probably not going to think about labor law anymore after they've listened to this hopefully they haven't turned it off by now um (laughs) but the but the but the good news is the same the same stuff that you should be worrying about and probably are worrying about is really the same things you should be working on if you're trying to avoid labor problems like you're probably trying to do everything that you can to attract great talent. You're probably thinking all night while you're awake uh, about how do I retain my, you know, my best people. Um, what can I do to make sure that we're creating a, like a safe place and a good place for people to work so that they want to show up, they want to give it their all, um, you know, they go the extra mile, like that, like th- those kinds of things that you are thinking about, those are the kinds of things that if you're doing those well, then um, you're probably not going to have a union issue because one of the big reasons that unions get traction in a company is because people are like, you know, this company doesn't care about us, they don't listen to us, um, you know, I want to, I you know, I need, I need someone to represent me, I need some help. And so yep. um that's kind of that's kind of the I guess if there's any good news in this sort of like thunderstorm of terrible, you know, news, it's that, you know, you, you should really focus on that. What I would say, you know, if you're going to sort of tweak what you're already doing, really think about, I mean, I talked about this a cue, right? The people are motivated mm-hmm. around these emotional needs, need for like I need to feel like I have power or control over my life. I need to feel like I belong here, like i like this is my tribe, and i can I can bring my best self to work, um so that's need for affiliation and then need for achievement. I need to feel like i'm I'm making progress in my life, so if you're thinking about work and and kind of what you offer to your team around those things, do I listen to my team? do they have control you know am i am I to kind of business that is constantly telling you at like four o'clock that you're going to have to work overtime when you haven't even had a chance to make arrangements for your kids or or you know you know talk to anybody or even like let your dog out or whatever like like all those are those are day-to-day decisions that companies make and treat you know their people where you know those pile up and can end up in a like i don't have any control over my life I don't have any power. Mm -hmm. I need somebody to speak for me. Um, And then the same thing with affiliation and same thing with achievement. So those are the kinds of things you really should be thinking about. And uh, and the good news is if you do a good job on those, you're going to attract better people. You're going to retain your people. So that, so it all like fits together, but uh, that Mm -hmm. would be kind of my, my key point about what you should be thinking about as a, yeah, just i I'll put you know quote unquote normal HR person. Though. I don't know yeah. that there is like any normal in this uh, business, but at least ones who aren't fighting a union campaign right now. Yeah,
1: the the new 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 normal HR yeah. whatever we have this week. I don't know. Add keep adding the news. we the we're gonna run out of live. Uh, time, But it, the show will continue for a minute. So, so first of all, thanks for doing the show. I appreciate it. It's timely information. I know it's, you know, stuff you talk about all the time, but I appreciate you uh, get, taking 45 minutes to share it with our listeners. Um, I did a crappy job of introducing you in the beginning. So, so. Phil, Phil is the CEO and general counsel for Labor Relations Institute, which is a consulting company that helps employers deal with uh, positive employee relations issues and labor, labor union issues. Um, he can be found a couple different places. One is under, the I guess, your approachable leadership, and then the other is um, your website. So can you share those with our listeners, and, and then we'll close uh-huh. the show and we'll be, we'll be done. I'll send you the link in a few minutes when, when we're off the air.
0: Yeah, great. So two websites, L R I online, so that's laborrelationsinstituteonline.com. And the other one, Michael, you mentioned is approachableleadership.com, just all one word, and that's kind of, that's some of our, our leadership content. And, uh, yeah, thanks a ton for the opportunity. Always great to catch up with you, and I uh, yep. yeah, hope to talk to you soon.
1: You know you will. I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. You'll have a great rest of the day. See ya.
0: Yeah. Okay. Thanks.